welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues called Rules of Desire. It was recorded in Los Angeles in 2004. Last week I um, had an article due. Uh, and since it's fresh in my mind, I'll speak on that subject tonight, on desire, dear to our hearts. And as we all know, many spiritual traditions um, think of desire as a kind of taboo. It's, as I say in the article, it's sort of one of the evil cousins of attachment, which is seen as the root of all suffering in some traditions. But let's face it, we are, we are animals that are running and operating on desire. We could even argue that all motivation is desire-driven. Hungry animals, hungry for all kinds of things, not just food. Complicated desires. So the question is not whether we should have it. We have it. And it is intrinsic to life that we do have it. But how do we live with desire? How do we live with it in a harmonious way? That's really the question. So I actually titled this article, Desire Rules. And it has three rules. (laughs) The first is the same as the Hippocratic, the, the physician's Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. So allow your desires, but be aware. Be aware of the effects of your desires. Do no harm. Hmm. You know, we can see what the collective effect of intense desire is doing to the planet. We're doing a lot of harm. So in this way... We have to examine ways of life that are so very costly environmentally. And then on more personal ways, do no harm. We look around and we see that the playing out of many desires, we all know this experience, have actually caused harm either to ourselves or to someone else, or to a group of people. And we know what that costs us. Have you not ever had the thought, I know I have, boy, the pleasure was not worth what (laughs) the cost was. You know, you look at what maybe even turned out to be only a few minutes of pleasure that produced tremendous cost. Tremendous sorrow and complication and energy spent. The second rule of desire uh, was, I used a quote from William Blake, kiss the joy as it flies. The second rule of desire has to do with the fact that everything is impermanent, and even desire is impermanent. 
desires sometimes just fall away, as we all know. We're of a certain age. (laughs) Certain kinds of desires are not as intense as they used to be. And the passions that we feel now might be subtler. Or not, in any case, it all goes. Kiss it as it flies. Enjoy it and kiss it as it goes by. You can't hold on to any of it. So it's fine to have the desire, but it's not so great to be clutching to the object of your desire. And the last rule I wrote about is be willing to live with desires unfulfilled. So know that you won't get everything you wanted. (laughs) Sort of a relief, actually. You won't get everything you wanted. Unless you wanted very, very little. (laughs) And that's okay. You allow the, the operating of the desire as a form of being interested and creative and having a certain excitement or enthusiasm. But you don't have to demand that the desire gets fulfilled. Many of them won't. So it's this fine balance between saying yes, yes, yes to life. Bring it on. Dance with it. Kiss it. Kiss the joy as it flies and the sorrow as it flies by too. And at the same time, this whisper in your heart that's always saying, and let it go, let it go. Bring it on and let it go. It's the razor's edge of clarity. Okay. Desire rules. I was, um, as I was driving down the, the freeway on the way here, it's, I was thinking about this thing with desire. And it's, uh, in a lot of ways, it's the, the more you pursue that which you desire, the stronger the desire in a lot of ways. It kind of is an auto-feedback system, you know, so that the, the more you grasp, the further away it is, or the, the more longing there is, the more pain there is. And, and uh, getting caught up in being in the the achievement story or you know just grasping always you know and so you're right it's it's a uh, it's a fine line it's a razor's edge to just be really comfortable with that and even be really comfortable with being uncomfortable with it yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah knowing that it's programmed as i say all the time here in yeah. this room and as you know as a biologist mm. It's programmed Mm -hmm. in us. Mm -hmm. We come from a long line of highly competitive creatures who won out. They beat out a lot of other animals, both human and other kinds. They were tough Mm -hmm. and hungry and aggressive 
and greedy probably. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to the one, but generally speaking, that's what we can assume about our ancestors. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a biological program in this, particular, in this particular form of animal. So not to fight with that, not to make it wrong, not to spiritually up-level. You know, I used to, I used to labor under the, the belief that even having desire was somehow not spiritual. Having attachment was considered, you know, just, like I said, the cause of suffering. But desire, of course, was the precursor to the attachment. And so having desire, I, I saw as this, as this negative. For many years, while pra- you know, practicing in Buddhist traditions primarily, and, you know, as, as I've often also said, the more I got to know my mind, the more horrified I was by the driving forces in it. And they were not changing. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't getting better. <laughs> All that was happening is I was becoming much more aware of, of, of the material. So I say, have no fight, no quarrel whatsoever. You're not doing it deliberately. Mm-hmm. It's just arising. It's just conditioned. It's just natural. And as I, as I just said earlier, it's intrinsic to life that we have it. It is the fuel that is keeping this going. But we can live in a very intelligent relationship to it, mm-hmm. in an awakened awareness that, that at least considers the greater good. You know, at least asks the question, does this contribute to the greater good, or is, does this harm the greater good? Or is it at least... Neutral. Right. So what about remorse? What if we, when we have done harm, yeah. what do we do with that? Yeah, I, I actually um, have a great um, honoring of remorse. Um, <clears throat> and I, I know that it's a fire that is burning up something it needs to burn up inside. Now, it's very important to make the distinction between remorse and guilt. Remorse can actually have a healthiness to it. It's just your own discerning awareness that recognizes someone was hurt by my actions, right? And it hurts you when you recognize that. But guilt is something heavier and more identified somehow when it's sort of like, I am guilty, I am defined as guilt. And that's, that's a very different quality of mind and much more delusional. Remorse has more, um, it's lighter somehow and it has more of a transitory feeling as I, as I think of it, as I consider that concept and one that is very useful. I, I speak about a subject, healthy remorse, about its importance and about how it just does work on you. It works on your, without you even having to think about it. If you're feeling remorse, what that is doing, it's deconditioning your tendency to do that action again. It's deconditioning it. It may not not happen on the first try out, but it's wearing it down. 
Because after a while, you just don't want to feel remorse about that thing anymore. You just don't want to do it. You realize the cost is more than the gain. It becomes almost like a mathematical formula. So a lot of what we could call ethics come down to your unwillingness to suffer from the actions that, have, that are causing suffering to others or to yourself. It can be a beautiful thing, remorse. Really beautiful. There's a line in the movie The Mission. I mean, a, a scene in the movie The Mission. Do you know that movie? No. Robert De Niro, I think it was Robert De Niro, plays um, like a slave trader. I, this has been so long since I saw the movie. I may not get all the things. This is slave trader. slave trader in South America. And at some point, he himself gets captured by the very people who he has sold into slavery in the most brutal, horrible circumstances and treated them really like beasts of burden. He gets captured by them, and he's bound and tied. And they're leading him somewhere. And at some point, one of the people who is leading him takes out this machete and makes him kneel down. And he's expecting, of course, to die. And instead, the person cuts the bonds, cuts his bonds. And all the while, they're, they're treating him pretty decently, considering how he had treated them. And in this moment, he, he looks at the guy and he realizes what has just happened. And he weeps in this most intense way. It's one of the great, great scenes of film it, it's, it's a moment of pure pure remorse and redemption which often can come with remorse and it transforms him that one moment totally transforms his consciousness in the film he, he's a different man when he gets up so yeah Nothing to be resisting remorse. Have, have the feeling that it's just working on you. It's doing, it's doing the work. This has been In the Deep with Catherine Ingram. If you'd like to find out more about my work or make a tax-deductible donation in support of these podcasts, please visit katherineingram.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kath Ingram for notice of additional podcasts and other musings. Till next time. Mm-hmm.